You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 127, by Rudolf Steiner, translated by Matthew Barton, 16 lectures, entitled The Mission of the New Spirit Revelation, The Pivotal Nature of the Christ Event in Earth Evolution. This is the last lecture, Lecture 16, in the book. There is an appendix of a couple pages I'm going to add on to this, but I will clearly state the end of Lecture 16 before then. Lecture 16 is entitled The Birth of the Sun Spirit as Earth Spirit, given in Hanover on the 26th of December, 1911. When we light the candles on the fir tree at this time of year, for the human soul it is as if a figure of something eternal arose before the eye of spirit, and as if this symbol could always have been the same since time immemorial when outward nature gradually fades away in autumn, when outward sunlight's configurations, as it were, fall into slumber, and the human soul must turn its outward senses away from the world's sensory manifestations, then our soul has an opportunity, and not only the opportunity, but it feels the necessity of turning inward into its deepest being. It feels that the time has come Now outer sunlight shines least, warms us least, for the soul to withdraw in this outward darkness, and at the same time instead find paths toward its inner light of spirit. The candles on the Christmas fir tree appear to us as a figure of this inner light of spirit, kindled within the night of outward darkness. And because what we now feel as the shining of the soul's light of spirit into natural darkness, appears to us something eternal. It may well seem as if the fir tree, shining in the night of Christmas, has done so in all ages, that we might return through, journeying from incarnation to incarnation, back to the primordial past. The Christmas tree itself, however, is relatively young. It has been the symbol of the Christmas thought and the feeling of Christmas for less than two hundred years. So it is a young symbol, but each year anew it announces a great eternal truth to human beings. And for this reason it seems as if it must have existed back in the very ancient past. Each year anew the divine revelation of cosmic breaths and heavenly heights resounds again, as if from the Christmas tree itself. And we can feel this as our soul's most trustworthy powers of peace, springing forth from our goodwill. Such tones rang forth, according to the Christmas legend, also when the shepherds visited the place of birth of the child, whose festival is celebrated on Christmas Day. The visiting shepherds heard tones that revealed divine primal powers from cosmic breaths and heavenly heights, entering human souls of goodwill as a deeply reassuring peace. For many centuries the Christmas festival was not regarded as something that could ever have had a beginning. It was felt to be an eternal symbol. 
And this is why Christian worship clothed the eternal nature of what occurs on Christmas night in these words. Christ has arisen anew. Each year the soul was to feel anew, something that could, however, only have happened once. The eternal nature of this symbol appears in its archetypal power before our soul if we feel it in the right way. And yet back in 353 A.D., the festival of Jesus' birth was not celebrated, even in Rome itself. The Christmas festival as we celebrate it today was not inaugurated until 354. A festival of Jesus' birth was not previously celebrated on 24 or 25 December. Previously, those who knew something about the deep wisdom of the mystery of Golgotha celebrated something very sublime on 6 January, the appearance of Christ. During the three first Christian centuries, this was celebrated as a kind of festival of Christ's birth to remind human souls of the descent of the Spirit, whom we know as the Christ Spirit, into the body of Jesus of Nazareth at the Jordan baptism enacted by John. People celebrated what they could understand of the Jordan baptism as a festival of the birth of Christ on 6 January and did so until the year 353. In these early Christian centuries, the most difficult mystery to understand, that of the entry of Christ's being into the body of Jesus of Nazareth, still lived in people as at least a strong intimation. What were the corresponding feelings of those who had a close relationship with the secrets of Christianity in these early Christian centuries? They were roughly as follows. The Spirit of Christ pervades and infuses the world that is revealed to us through our senses and through our human spirit. In ancient times this Christ Spirit revealed itself to Moses, resounding to him like the mystery of the human eye, capital, in the same way that this resounds for us from the Christmas tree in the symbolic sounds of E-A-O, Alpha and Omega, preceded by the eye, when we allow this to resonate in the soul. This is how it resounded within Moses' soul when the Christ Spirit appeared to him in the burning thorn bush. And then the same Spirit of Christ led Moses to where he was to perceive him in his truest being, expressed in the Old Testament in the words, quote, Yahweh led Moses to the Mount of Nebo, close quote, near Jericho, and showed him all that was to happen before this Spirit could incarnate in a human body. And when this Spirit stood face to face with Moses on Mount Nebo, near Jericho, he said to him, quote, But thou, to whom I have revealed myself before times, with what thou bearest in thy soul, thou mayest not enter the evolution of thy people, that is, to prepare what shall happen when the times are fulfilled. Close quote. And after humanity had been prepared through its evolution for century upon century, the same spirit that had held back Moses revealed himself. He revealed himself becoming flesh, assuming a human body in Jesus of Nazareth. Hereupon the whole of humanity was led upward 
from the stage of initiation that is indicated in the word Jericho, in quotes, to that indicated in the passage through the Jordan. Those who understood the true meaning of Christianity in the early Christian centuries depicted Jesus of Nazareth being baptized in the Jordan and the sun-earth-spirit of Christ pouring itself into him. This was celebrated as a mystery, as the birth of Christ in those early Christian centuries. And what we are nowadays readying ourselves for again through anthroposophy, what we are readying ourselves for through the wisdom of the fifth post-Atlantean epoch, shown forth the Gnostics, perceived with the last inherited residues of ancient clairvoyance at the time when the mystery of Golgotha occurred. At the turning point of time, at the moment when the ancient era gave way to the new, the Gnostics, those singular theosophists, perceived the Christ mystery in a different way from us, but nevertheless expressed the same content. What they said filtered through, and although what had actually occurred in the event that is symbolically depicted in the Jordan baptism was not generally understood, nevertheless people sensed and felt that the Son Spirit had been born as Earth Spirit at that time, that a cosmic power had shone forth within an earthly human being. And so in the early Christian centuries, 6 January was celebrated as the birth of Christ and the body of Jesus of Nazareth, as the appearance of Christ on earth. But increasingly humanity lost sight, and even any intimation of this profound mystery. A time arrived when people could no longer understand that what was called Christ dwelt for only three years in a physical human body. People will increasingly recognize that what occurred over three years in a physical human body had its incisive effect on the whole of earthly evolution and that it is both one of the deepest wisdoms and one of the very hardest to understand. The human soul as it prepared itself from the fourth century onward for the materialistic age that was to come grew too weak to understand the great mystery that can only once again be increasingly understood from our own time onward. Thus, as Christianity gained ever more outward power, it lost a deeper inner understanding of the Christ mystery itself and was no longer able to invest the festival of 6th January with any content. The birth of Christ was moved back 13 days, as if it was identical with the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. But in this very fact we encounter something that must fill us with deep satisfaction and awe. The 24 and 25 December are established as the day of Christ's birth due to the loss of a great truth, as we have just seen. And yet, this very loss of wisdom had such wisdom in it that although the people who ordained this knew nothing of it, we must feel astonished at the subconscious wisdom that held sway. Divine wisdom also held sway in this. And just as we can read divine wisdom outside us in nature, if we only know how to decipher everything revealed there, so we can discern divine wisdom active in the unconscious human soul if we consider one fact. Open the calendar and find 
24 December Adam and Eve Day there, followed by Christmas Day. In other words, the loss of an old truth shifted Christ's birth for the earth backward by 13 days and instead identified it with the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. Yet at the same time, most wonderfully connected this birth with the thought of the human being's origins in earth evolution with Adam and Eve. And if we inquire into all the obscure feelings, all the wonderful intimations that prevail in the human soul in relation to this festival of the day of Jesus' birth, without people being conscious of this, if we examine these feelings in the depths of the human soul, we find that they speak a wonderful language. When it was no longer understood what actually flowed in toward humanity from cosmic breaths, since this should have been celebrated on 6 January, intuitively, as if through powers at work in hidden soul depths, people fell back upon a celebration of the nature of the human spirit soul before it has passed fully through human physical corporeality, as it exists at the very outset of a human life, as the human spirit soul first takes possession of this human physical body. The child's soul at birth has not yet assimilated what is only invoked through immersion in physical corporeality. But more than this, the celebration recalls not only the child embarking on every human life, but the child who existed before human beings arrived in earthly evolution at their very first physical incarnation, what the Kabbalah calls Adam Kadmon, the human being who descended from divine spiritual heights with everything he had acquired from the planetary stages of Saturn, Sun, and Moon. A wonderful divine wisdom was presented to humankind in the festival of Jesus' birth as the human being in spiritual form at the very outset of earthly evolution, now born through Jesus. When people could no longer understand what descended from cosmic breaths, from heavenly spheres to the earth, a memory of what the human being had been before the Luciferic powers approached us in evolution, was lodged in human souls instead. And when people no longer understood the sublime event that occurred for humanity at the Jordan baptism by John, that a divine principle descends there from cosmic breaths and heavenly heights and penetrates the human soul to bring the assurance of peace to those who are of good will, a different assurance was nevertheless given them. No longer understanding this celebratory moment and its symbols, they were instead shown that before Luciferic powers became active at the beginning of earthly evolution, human beings possessed a nature, an intrinsic essence, that is our sure foundation. From previous accounts we know that the Jesus boy presented to us in the Gospel of Luke and not the one in Matthew, is the child whom the shepherds worship, and that they hear within them the message of the divine revelation from cosmic breaths and heavenly heights, bringing peace to human souls who are of good will. And so in those centuries when more sublime truths were no longer understood, 
a festival was initiated instead to remind us anew each year that though we may not be able to gaze upon heavenly heights to discern there the great sun spirit, we bear within us in our child soul, before it immerses itself in outer physical embodiment, powers that can assure us that we can vanquish everything of our lower nature that adheres to us through Lucifer's temptation. And for this reason, this festival of the birth of Jesus was moved, was immediately juxtaposed with a memory of Adam and Eve, showing us that at a place the shepherds visit, a human soul is born who possesses the nature of the human soul before we had embarked upon our first earthly incarnation. Instead of the God whose birth people no longer understood, the birth of the human being was celebrated. You see, there are two sources, really, of the peace, tranquility, and strength that can repeatedly reinvigorate us, however much our powers threaten to wane, however much our pain and suffering seem to gain the upper hand. One of these sources can be discerned if we look out into cosmic breaths that are inwoven, illumined, pervaded, and warmed through by what we can call the Divine Spirit. And if we can give ourselves up to the thought that if we do not allow our strength to fade, we can imbue ourselves with the power of this Divine Spirit that pervades the weft of this world, if we can let this thought live in our hearts, then we grasp the thought of Easter, through which, as it were, we draw cosmic assurance from the breaths of the universe. And the other source comes from the obscure intimation that before we succumbed to Luciferic powers at the outset of earthly evolution, our soul spiritual being was still a current in the stream of the same spirit which we now await from cosmic breaths and depths of space in the Christmas thought. If we go to the source, we can discern in the origin of our own being, before the influence of Luciferic powers took hold, we can say this, Whatever may come upon us, whatever may torment us and draw us down from the light-filled spheres of spirit, our own divine origin once existed and must still reside within us, however deeply concealed within our depths of soul. If we can discern this inmost power of soul, then we will find the assurance that we can and may once again ascend to those heights. And if we consider everything we can invoke in ourselves as childlike innocence that is as yet free of life's temptations, and remove from it everything to which human souls have succumbed through many incarnations since the beginning of earthly evolution, then we gain a picture, too, of that human soul who existed at the outset of evolution before our earthly incarnations began. But only a single soul remained in this condition, the soul of whom the Luke Gospel speaks, as the soul of one of the two Jesus boys. At the time when other human souls began to embark upon their incarnations in earthly evolution, this one soul was held back in the spiritual realm, preserved and protected within the most sacred mysteries through Atlantean times, post-Atlantean times, up to the time of the events in Palestine. 
and then it was conveyed into the body that was intended to receive it, that of one of the Jesus boys, the Jesus child whom the Luke Gospel describes. Thus the festival of the birth of Christ became that of the birth of Jesus. If we rightly understand this festival, then we must recognize that the symbolic birth we celebrate on Christmas night invokes the original nature of the human soul, the human being's childlike spirit as it existed at the outset of earthly evolution. If we regard this childlike nature as it was then, it will always teach us that it once descended as a revelation from heavenly heights. And if we feel it within our human breast, our soul will receive the feeling of the assurance of peace that can bear us to our lofty goals if we are of good will. Thus, if we can hear it, what speaks to us on Christmas night brings a powerful message. And why, exactly, was the festival of the birth of Christ set back thirteen days and turned into the festival of Jesus' birth? If we want to understand this, we will need to penetrate deep mysteries of the human soul. We believe in outer nature because we see it with our own eyes. We observe in spring that the sun's rays entice life from the depths of the earth, then unfold this life through spring and summer in glorious beauty. We see how subsequently this life withdraws again into the earth's depths at a time when the outward sun's sphere of the earth is darkest. We know that in these depths of the earth, in the seeds that lie there, is being prepared what will once again sprout the following year. Yes, believing in plant seeds, since we can see them, we acknowledge a seasonal cycle in which they must settle in depths of soil in order to reappear and unfold anew when the warmth and light of the sun awakens them in spring. But initially people do not know that the human soul itself can pass through such a cycle. They notice this only if they are initiated into the great mysteries of existence. Our own interiority of soul is connected, like the vigor of every plant seed, connected with the physical powers of the earth, with spiritual earth powers. And just as the plant seed descends into depths of earth, at the time we call Christmas, so the human soul descends into deep, deep regions of the spirit at this time, likewise drawing strength from these regions as the plant seed gathers strength to bloom again in spring. Ordinary human consciousness sees nothing of what happens to the soul in the earth's spirit depths. But for someone whose eyes of spirit have opened, this period of the thirteen days and thirteen nights is a profound period of spiritual experience. Yes, parallel to our experience of the plant seed in the natural depths of the earth goes a spiritual experiencing within earth's spiritual depths. These two things run in parallel. And seers whose schooling enables them to do this, or who have naturally inherited powers of vision, can feel themselves descending into and penetrating such depths of spirit. During this period of thirteen days and thirteen nights, the seer can behold in the spirit what must come upon humankind because of our passage 
through these earthly incarnations, which have come to be as they are by the powers of Lucifer from the beginning of earthly evolution through to our own era. The Kamaloka sufferings that have come upon us as human beings in the world of spirit as a result of Lucifer's influence since we first began to be incarnated on earth can most clearly become apparent to our vision in the great and mighty imaginations that the soul can behold in the thirteen days and nights between the Christmas festival and the festival of 6 January of Christ's appearance. If the plant seed spends its most important periods in the depths of the earth at this period, so likewise the human soul has its profoundest experiences at this time. The human soul beholds everything that we must experience in worlds of spirit because we distanced ourselves under Lucifer's influence from the world's creative powers. The human soul beholds all this best during this period. And through this vision it is best prepared also for the imagination which we can call the Christ imagination, through which we perceive how Christ vanquishes Lucifer and in consequence becomes the judge of human deeds that arise from the incarnations subject to Lucifer's influence. And so the human soul, the seer's soul, lives from the festival of Jesus' birth to that of the appearance of Christ. And in doing so, the mystery of Christ dawns upon the soul. And thus during this period of the year, we can most deeply discern what the Jordan baptism by John really means. It is a singular fact that wherever the potential capacity for true spiritual vision arose in the Christian centuries, it also brought with it this remarkable connection with visions received by the seer's soul during the thirteen nights, the winter solstice period. Many seers, either schooled in the modern mysteries or possessing inherited powers of seership, have conveyed how in the darkest time of winter the soul can behold everything that we must endure through our removal from the Spirit of Christ, and how we can also receive redress for this by virtue of the mystery of the Jordan baptism by John, followed by the mystery of Golgotha. The visions of seers during these thirteen nights are crowned on 6 January by the Christ imagination. It is right, therefore, to place the birth of Christ on 6 January, right to regard these thirteen nights as representative of human soul seership, where we can perceive everything we must experience and endure because of our life in earthly incarnations, from Adam and Eve onward to the mystery of Golgotha. I found it interesting to see this thought, reformulated here, but similar to other lectures on the Christ mystery, beautifully embodied in a legend and tale performed last year in Christiania, Oslo. This is the dream song, as it is known, which has surfaced in the last ten or fifteen years in Norway and gained popularity there, though it originates in olden times. This legend recounts in wonderful fashion how Olaf Astason is initiated as if by natural powers. Falling asleep on Christmas Eve, he sleeps on through all the thirteen days until 6 January, 
witnessing all the horrors that we must endure as a result of our incarnations from the beginning of the earth through to the mystery of Golgotha. As he approaches 6 January, Olaf Astesen beholds how the Christ Spirit, preceded by the Spirit of Michael, intervenes in humanity. I hope that we will soon be able to perform this poem of Olaf Astesen so that you can see how awareness of such visionary powers during the thirteen days is still alive today, or rather is kindling to life again. I will read just the beginning verses to give you a sense of the poem. Quote, Listen all now to my song. I will sing to you of a nimble, vigorous lad. I'll sing of Olaf Astason, who lay so long asleeping. He went to his rest on Christmas Eve. A sleep so deep encompassed him, and never did he awake again until the thirteenth day, when folk to church were all a-going. This was Olaf Astason, who lay so long a-sleeping. Listen, therefore, to my song. Close quote. Steiner again. The tale continues, as he is led in his dream during the thirteen nights, through everything we must experience due to Lucifer's temptation. The song vividly conjures how Olaf Astesen passes through all the regions we have described in accounts of Kamaloka, into which streams the Christ Spirit with Michael before him. With Christ's advent in the Spirit, as we may call it, human beings will increasingly receive the means really also to perceive how spiritual forces prevail and pervade existence, how our festivals have not been arbitrarily established, but originate through the cosmic wisdom holding sway throughout history in ways of which we are so often unconscious. This cosmic wisdom set the festival of Jesus' birth at the beginning of the thirteen days. Whereas the festival of Easter can always admonish us to find within ourselves from our observations of the breadths of space, of the vast cosmos, powers to overcome everything of a lower nature. The Christmas thought teaches us that if we understand our human origin, this origin of the divine human, we can recognize the meaning of the symbol we meet in the Jesus child on Christmas Day. This human origin of ours continually urges us to find in ourselves the vigorous powers that endow us with what we can truly call peace of soul. You see, peace of mind, of soul, is only present when it is an assured peace, that is, when it enables us always to know that there lives in us something that can and must lead us upward to divine heights, to divine powers, if we only bring it to birth within us in the right way. The candles on this tree They are symbols for us of the light so luminous within our own soul when we grasp with the symbol of the Jesus child in all the innocence of his nature announces to us on Christmas night the inmost nature of the human soul itself which is innocent, vigorous, peaceful upon its path toward the loftiest aims of earth existence. These candles can teach our soul that if it ever grows weak, and believes it cannot find its way or fulfill its aims, 
then it need only think of the human being's divine origins, perceive within the powers that are at the same time the powers of the highest love. Let us kindle all the strength we possess to perceive within us the powers that continually give us confidence and certainty in all our work, in all aspects of our lives, for all future times. That is the end of Lecture 16, the last technical lecture in the book. I'm going to finish the book with an appendix, so I'm going to add it on to this lecture. And the appendix is called The Threefold Call from the World of Spirit. Notes from a lecture for the inauguration of the Heidenheim branch group, given in Heidenheim on the 30th of November, 1911. We are here today to inaugurate the Heidenheim branch group, And we have been joined in this celebration by friends from various regions who have come to offer their support for this venture. Over the years, a number of people have come together in this city, united in their inner desire for shared spiritual scientific work. Everything in life has its effect. If a person lies or falls into error, even if unaware of this in their conscious mind, nevertheless, it resides in their subconscious and is active there as a destructive energy, not only for the individual themselves, but for the whole of world evolution. In the same way, when someone connects with the powers of truth, this has a life-creating energy for the whole evolution of the world and humanity. In our seven cultural epochs, there are three moments that are decisive for the further evolution of humanity. These are, number one, the first call to humanity, resounding in thunderous voice from Mount Sinai as the commandments of Jehovah. The second call in the desert from John the Baptist, when he spoke to those who wished to hear, quote, change your ways for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, close quote. And the third call, my dear friends, is the new revelation proclaimed from worlds of spirit through spiritual science or anthroposophy. Conception, when the child's soul descends into this world from spiritual spheres, is a memory and a symbol of the first thunderous call from Sinai in the commandments. And when the child begins to use speech in infancy, but as yet does so unthinkingly, learns to speak without employing slumbering capacities of thought, So this is a parallel within each person to the second call that resounded to humanity from John the Baptist, the voice crying out of loneliness. And when at a later stage in life the child begins to understand speech by using and developing the powers of thinking, this is a reflection of the third call that resounds to humanity from spiritual science, the new revelation to comprehend what is enshrined in the Gospels concerning the mystery of Golgotha. Spiritual science brings us, as new revelation from worlds of spirit, a capacity to understand what was proclaimed in the second call by John and was recorded in writing after the mystery of Golgotha. Through spiritual science, the third call of our seven cultural epochs. We are given understanding of what Christ Jesus said, quote, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth's cycle. Close quote. 
In those days there were only a few who heard the second call. And similarly, in our own era, there will be only a small portion of humanity that hears the third call. But, my dear friends, if the call should pass by without being heard, humanity's evolution could not occur in the way intended by high spiritual beings. In retrospect, we may regard it as infinite grace that there were people back then who did hear the second call. We owe these souls our thanks that humanity's evolution could therefore continue. Those who understand how to read the signs of the times know what it means to hear the third call of the new living revelation, or otherwise to let it pass unheard. There was a time when it was said that there are only two paths for humankind. Doing good would lead to eternal bliss after death, while doing evil would cast us out into eternal damnation. But spiritual science offers a different teaching. My dear friends, we know that we are complex beings, that we possess a physical body, etheric body, astral body, and I, capital. If we now begin to believe in a world of spirit, to imbue ourselves with the powers of belief, this power of belief is a power of the astral body. Thus the astral body is the, quote, belief body, close quote. Through belief and in the belief body, a person works their way upward to powers of love. These are the powers of the etheric or life body. Thus the etheric or life body is the love body. If people were unable to work their way toward worlds of spirit through powers of belief, their capacities of thinking would become ever emptier, more ossified and arid. A person would be unable to raise themselves to the power of love. What would we be without love? We would inevitably become isolated, and gradually we would lose all connection with our fellow human beings and our fellow creatures in the natural world. We must be able to develop love. This alone gives us the true power of life, so that we renounce egoism and configure ourselves for true, unegoistic love in the love body or etheric body. When we look out into nature, we learn to perceive the truth of the individual soul's reincarnation. Behold the natural world. What kind of feeling would you have as the plant world dies in autumn if you were obliged to think that everything is dead, nothing sprouts or germinates any more, nothing blossoms? There is a proverb that says, quote, No one knows what the morrow will bring. Close quote. But is this actually true? If we undertake our work today with enthusiasm and the most sacred sense of duty, do we really know nothing of what the morrow will bring? We know that the sun will rise and begin its journey across the skies and set again in the evening. We know that the world order will continue. But how would it be for someone who never knew whether or not the sun would shine again in the morning? whether the powers of day and night, whether rain and sunshine, whether the regulated rhythms of the stars and planets would cease or change completely. We would embark on our tasks without courage or energy if we did not know that we can continue them the next day and work further on what we have begun. Just as truly as spring follows winter, 
and the slumbering seed, the inmost nature of a plant is reawoken. So, departing from the physical body, the soul, the germ that remains, will be enlivened once again and take up its life on the physical plane once more, further unfolding its own and humanity's evolution. Thus powers of hope grow forth from powers of love. The physical body is the hope body. What would a person be without hope for the morrow, for the completion of the work begun, without hope of being reunited with those they have loved in life? And thus the new revelation of the message of Christ, anthroposophy or spiritual science, can proclaim the teaching of reincarnation despite all the enlightened science and scholarship that holds sway in the external world and denies the existence of supersensible worlds. If people belittle or pity us for being so, in quotes, superstitious, we can look upon natural processes and find their proof of what the science of the Spirit teaches. If the third call were to pass unheeded, my dear friends, humanity's evolution could not continue. And those looking back from later times to the present age, when we failed to heed it, would hold us responsible. But just as we look back in gratitude to the human souls who did heed the second call of John, so in later times human beings will look back in gratitude to those who now hear the present call, the third, and so enable humanity to continue to evolve In the Roman catacombs, the few early Christians gathered and held memorials together for their dead, while up above, in the arena, figures of power reveled in their power and dominion, casting these early Christians to wild animals or sacrificing them as burning torches. These figures of power were swept away. And today, similarly, we gather in premises that our friends provide us, rooms that might also be seen as spiritual catacombs. But the materialism that holds dominion in our time will be swept away too, and spiritual science will lead humanity further if the third call is heeded. Might it not be possible that one or other of you present here today heard and heeded the call of John? All of us, in one way or another, did hear that second call, and must hear the third, so that humanity shall have the means to develop further. To ensure that the teachings of the new revelation of Christ may be heard in this city, the spiritual powers have brought a number of human beings together here in the inner commitment of their hearts, those high spiritual individualities whose task is to convey this call to humanity, are humanity's guides and leaders. That is the end of the appendix that was put uh, after lecture 16, now the end of the book. This is Collected Works, Volume 127, by Rudolf Steiner.